At the end of the day, it's a, it's a muscle. And I think you can develop it over time. And sure, it's always going to be exhausted faster than an extrovert's muscle is going to be, but you can get better at it. And so step one is realize you're not going to make any progress in real estate in particular, but business in general, unless you can overcome that. It's a, like a full stop. If you can't get through that barrier, you're not going to make it very far. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Today, our guest is Anthony Vecino from Invictus Multifamily. Today, we're talking about how to take your partnerships, your relationships to the next level. We get into Anthony's uh, partnership that he built with his now business partner that they're taking down and all these real estate deals with, how they got formed, what their thought you know, process was what he needed to do before he got into this business partnership in order to be really ready for it. This is important because real estate is all a huge people business. It's all about your relationships and going to the next level. I don't care what you're in. is going to depend on the relationships that you have formed. So today we talk about how to do that, how to be ready to form a business partnership, how to, how to go about it. You know, that's really what it is. For those of you who are new to the show, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor. I'm a real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. I learned some stuff today. I know you will too. doesn't matter if you're an active or a passive real estate investor. This is so important to take your business partnerships and your mindset to the next level. Thank you for tuning in. Without any further ado, here we go with Anthony Vecino. Anthony, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. I'm excited to talk with you for the folks that are seeing the video. You've got your camera really well set up. So I'm a, I'm a little envious and uh, you've had some cool experiences before you got into real estate investing as well. We're going to get into all of that for our listeners who don't know you, don't know your history, don't know who you are. Can you tell us a bit about your background and uh, what you did before you got into real estate investing? Sure. Yeah. Let's go back then, you know, to the moment I realized I was a really bad employee and that was, I was working a landscaping job and working my way through college. And the, my foreman hated me so much. He would literally have me just dig a hole all day long. And then at the end of the day, fill in the hole. And so like, I knew I was like, okay, I'm, I'm a pretty bad employee. That wasn't just his, him disliking me. It was that I wasn't very good when it comes to working for other people. So I figured out from an early age, I got to figure out how I'm going to work and thrive in this world because I'm also the type of person like I'm, I'm a lazy employee when it comes to working for other people. But when it comes to working for myself, I, I work very hard. And so I knew that I needed to create a life where I was going to be working for myself. And that took me down a lot of different paths. So for a while, I was a professional rock climber. Then I started writing science fiction and fantasy novels and you know wrote a bunch of those and did pretty well, really enjoyed it. But there's there's some aspects of you know sitting in a room all day with yourself and your imagination and just telling stories that it lacks a certain social element and it lacks a little bit of impact right you're 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 entertaining the world but you're not necessarily making a social impact and so I started doing some other things started dabbling while I was writing and started building some businesses things that you know they they were interesting to me because they gave me the opportunity to to build systems. And that was something I figured out, like, I really like building things, like systems and seeing how they come together. Like, I'm really bad with my hands. Like, if you asked me to build a fence, like, I couldn't do it. But when it comes to building systems in a business context, I can do that pretty well. So I built a high-rise window washing company and then built a manufacturing company. Um, And then in about 20... 
14, I started getting into real estate. And the thing that I tell people, I tell this story and I don't even know if it's true because it's kind of like everybody has this come to, you know, come to God moment in real estate where they're like, oh, the light bulb went off. And I knew at that moment that was it. And (laughs) I, I don't really have that moment. But what I tell people is I was driving into downtown Minneapolis one night and the skyline was beautiful. There's probably a sunrise behind it. And I was looking at the skyscrapers and I was hit with the question, uh, what does it take to buy a skyscraper? And I, I have no interest in actually buying a skyscraper, but the question itself was really interesting because at that point I didn't know, like I had no clue, like, was that a, an entity? Was that an individual, a trust? Like I don't, I had no clue. So I started diving into that question and trying to answer it. And in doing so, it led me down the multifamily uh, real estate route. And that was really interesting to me because a couple of years before that, I had been doing fix and flips and I had passively invested with a buddy, but that was mostly like, I gave him some money to go and buy some quads that he then ran. And it wasn't really like the real estate was the interesting part. And so fast forward, I started learning about multifamily after that, you know, that skyscraper question. And I was like, wow, this is really cool because the systems are really simple. They're like Legos. I can stack them together. And then once I know how they go together, I can build anything with this. And, and so that's what I started doing. I started small, started buying little properties that I could prove out the systems. I wanted to start small where if I failed, it wasn't going to be a big deal. You know, I'm a big proponent of failing my way to success. So I focus on micro failures that lead to macro successes. So start small within my comfort zone and start expanding from there. And that's what we started doing um, fairly rapidly after that. I joined forces with my now partner, Dan Kruger, and, and formed Invictus Capital about a year and a half ago. And we, yeah, now we, we syndicate here in the Twin Cities. So before that, we were just joint venturing, doing stuff with our own money. And at a certain point, we just had so many people coming to us and saying, hey, we see what you're doing. Can we participate? Can we, can we get in on this? And we're like, well, oh, sure. I guess we could figure out how that works. And that just led us down the syndication route. And it's been really fulfilling because it allows us to, to work with passive investors and like bring them into this investment vehicle that a lot of people don't realize is accessible to them. So that's kind of like, you know, the really long-winded answer that takes you from, you know, learning about how I'm really good at digging holes. Um, (laughs) all the way up to where I am now. Great. Something I'd like to, you know, get into here and address is you, you know, you join forces with your partner and how did you know that was going to be a good fit? How did you know the two of you were a good fit? How did you know, presumably you knew at a certain point, you know, you need a partner. Mm -hmm. I mean, can you walk us through that, you know, decision-making process and evaluation process and everything? That is such a good question. It's a really hard one to answer because partnerships are everything. It's in real estate, it's a relationships game. And so if you want to go far, you go together. If you want to go fast, you go alone. And there's a lot of truth in that idea, but it's really hard to find a good partner and know like what's the the personality traits that's going to work well with me, their communication style, what are their skill sets. I think a lot of times when it comes to finding partners, we we glom on to people who are just like us. They see the world the same way and they have the same strengths as us. And that then leaves a big hole where both of you have the same weaknesses. And I've been in that situation. I have you know, started a number of businesses and each one of them has revolved around a relationship with a key partner. And some of those partnerships, they did not go well. And through that process, what I found was I need somebody who sees the end state in the same way that I do. And they're moving at the same speed towards that goal, but their skill sets are different than mine. But we need to also have the ability to like communicate on the same wavelength. And if you don't have that, then it doesn't really matter like 
you know, how, how good either of you are, it's, you're going to hit some rocky road and you're not going to be able to come through. So for Dan and I was interesting is that we met at a networking event. And at the time, neither one of us was really looking for a partner. I went to the networking event and I'm a super introvert. So Mike, when I go to a networking event, my only one goal is to meet a single person. That's it. Like I just need to go talk to one human and I count it as a victory. And so I went to that networking event. So I'm just going to meet one person. And that first person I met happened to be Dan. <laughs> and it, like, we got really lucky on that one, just like hit a, hit a grand slam. But we, at that point, we, we went out to lunch, we stayed in contact. We, we didn't start the conversation around partnership for about four to five months later when we started seeing like, hey, there's a lot of synergies here between our skill sets. Why don't we work together? And so my best advice to people is like, don't try and force it. It's like, you can't go to the bar and just go up to the first lady that you see and say, I'm looking for a wife. That's probably not going to work. And so you need to first make yourself the type of person who's you know attractive to a partner. So you need to work on your skill sets, um, but you also need to go into it with the long view and say that this isn't going to happen quickly. That could be a six month, a year, it could be two years. It could be a really long time before the relationship really starts to ferment. Mm, ferment. Interesting, uh, interesting <laughs> choice of word there. If you're uh, like, if you're, if you're into alcohol, then you're all about the fermenting. If you're not, then you might be like, mm, I don't yeah, know if had, I want that. <laughs> we had bar fermentation. I'll like, I'm sure we'll get, we'll get yep. something else in here. <laughs> and I'm glad you, you mentioned that you have to work on yourself first and, and make yourself, you know, attractive, uh, so to speak in the first place, because my kind of follow-up question was going to be, you know, how do you think about when you're approaching you know, this topic of partnership, how did you think about, you know, why should Dan or whoever you're, you're maybe going to partner with, why should they partner with me? I mean, did you, you know, prepare your little resume there? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> how, do, how do you pitch yourself, so to speak, or does that even make sense in this context after you said you did all that relationship building? I mean, the, the pitch is over, right? The dude mm -hmm. knows you. I mean, you know each other. I, I, it's interesting. One of the, the ways to make sure that a relationship does really poorly, a business relationship is to make sure that there's no clear accountabilities and responsibilities, right? To make sure that both of you are trying to pick up all the buckets simultaneously. That'll work really well. So no, actually that's, that won't work very well. Sarcastically, so that will not yeah, work really very, well. It, it, no, not at all. Yeah. You, you need to make sure that there are very clearly delineated expectations of who's doing what and when. And honestly, I think the best partnerships form when every day you're waking up and saying, okay, am I bringing enough value to this relationship? How can I bring more? And if you're not having that question, if you're just kind of coasting and riding it and the other person's doing the same, then you're going to kind of stagnate. But if both of you are constantly thinking like, I need to do, I need to bring more to this relationship. How can I do that? Then you're both kind of, you're elevating one another and pushing. And so I think that's the ideal state. But to that, to that end, I don't think... I, when I'm going into a partnership, I'm looking at it through the lens of like, okay, what is it that I bring to this? I don't go into any endeavor unless I think there's some way I can add value. And once, if I think that, then the value I can bring, I can usually point to it very, very uh, concretely and say, okay, this project, it could use some help in marketing or graphic design or in the operations of how do we hire and bring on new employees? Like, those are areas I can point to and say, I can bring that value. Or if it's in the context of, you know, syndicating, hey, we can capital, we can be capital raisers, or we have in-house management for our um, property management. And so we can bring that operational expertise there. So like we can concretely point to those things. And if you're, if you're at that point where maybe you're new and you're still trying to find a partner, you're not really sure what your skills are. Well, that's really difficult. 
that, that's going to be really difficult for the other person to figure it out for you. So you need to do some, some pontificating on that so that you can come and say, here's where I'm strong, but then also here's where I'm weak. And don't try and gloss over that, like own your weaknesses because those are just as important because that's going to tell you your partner is going to signal to them where they need to maybe pick up the slack or where you two need to come together to work on that weakness. Takes quite a bit of self knowledge and honesty to identify those weaknesses because, you know, we don't we don't always necessarily want to uh, openly acknowledge our weaknesses. But in order to make this work, we need to be aware of them and also you know bring them to the forefront. And say this is this is not what I'm good at. Mm-hmm. A couple of things. It's it's interesting. You know, Dan, he talks about this a lot. In, in the early days of his real estate investing career, he thought he was going to do it all himself. He wanted to be the guy who got all the credit and all the accolades. He wanted to be the sole owner of the properties. And so, you know, it really stunted how quickly and how far he could go because it was all an ego thing. At the end of the day, he just wanted to be able to say, I did that. But you know, nobody cares at the end of the day, whether or not you had a partner, right? Like nobody thinks about, thinks less of Steve Jobs or Phil Knight because they had partners or, you know, Bill Gates, like they, they built these things collaboratively and they weren't the people that, you know, Steve Jobs wasn't great at everything. You know, he had some glaring weaknesses and it was only because he had Steve Wozniak supplementing and offsetting those weaknesses that they were able to build what they did. So if you can't be honest with yourself about where your strengths and weaknesses are, well, it's going to be very difficult to improve because you're going to be kind of spending a lot of your time pretending and diverting energy across a broad spectrum of, of tasks and activities that maybe aren't a good use of your skill set. And so like if I was the guy in our relationship who was just doing all the underwriting, I can do that, but I'm not as good as Dan. Dan thinks and lives in spreadsheets. That's his world. And so it makes no sense for me to try and pretend that like I'm as good as him at that. And yeah, I think if you want to succeed in business or just in life in general, the first step is really looking inward and being honest with yourself because until you can, you can assess yourself, honestly, it's going to be hard to move forward. Nice. And, you know, to, to bring up, you know, the, uh, team you're familiar with, where would Jake be without Gino? Where would Gino be without Jake, right? The the two of those in this real estate space, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, the partnerships Mm -hmm. go on and on. Another thing that is very important that I want to make sure we discuss is you said a little bit earlier that you are an introvert, you identify as an introvert. And I hear this in the real estate space pretty frequently that, you know, how can I, I'm an introverted person. How can I go do this? How am I going to, you know, it's a people business, all that, that type of thing. How have you dealt with that, you know, aspect? Because obviously you're talking to me right now. We're live streaming on the internet. I mean, we're probably both, I'm, I know I'm at home. I don't know if you're at home or not, but you know, you got out there, you met your, your partner, you met a lot of other people. How have you dealt with that introverted nature? Because I, I identify as an introvert too, but you know, I'm always looking for new strategies here. Mm-hmm. I think first step is as an introvert, it's, you can't let that be an excuse. Yes, it means that you it's harder for you perhaps than it would be for an extrovert to put yourself out there, but nothing in life that's worth having comes easy. You know, that it's it's right on the edge of our comfort zone that growth occurs. And so that's great because you know as an introvert exactly where the growth can occur. It's it's super obvious and it's the place that you're you know, your, your anxiety and your inside say, I don't want to go towards, I don't want to talk to that person. I, you know, 
that's where you need to walk towards because at the end of the day, it's a, it's a muscle. And I think you can develop it over time. And sure, it's always going to be exhausted faster than an extrovert's muscle is going to be, but you can get better at it. And so step one is realize you're not going to make any progress in real estate in particular, but business in general, unless you can overcome that. It's a, like a full stop. If you can't get through that barrier, you're not going to make it very far. And so you need to remove the introvert extrovert equation as an excuse and not even allow yourself to fall back on it. Because at the end of the day, I would say some of the most successful people that I know are introverts and they just didn't let it stop them. It's that's true. And I would agree with that for my, my case in my network. I know so many people who openly, who are successful and openly identify as introverts and they haven't let it uh, slow them down. They've just dealt with it and acknowledged it and moved on. And, and I think that's uh I think that's great and very important. Um, you know, I, I'll add this too, because this I, I think might be helpful for somebody. You know, a couple of years ago, I I, I wasn't the social butterfly that I am now. <laughs> uh, you know, and I had this limiting belief, and it was such a subtle one, but so pervasive that I for, I didn't even recognize it for what it was. And this might resonate with some people out there, where you know, I would tell myself, I just don't really like other people all that much. You know, I was an author who just kind of spent his time as a hermit. And it's like, uh, it's not that I, I, I just don't really like people. I'm not a people person. That's what I would tell myself. And that became the self-fulfilling prophecy. So whenever I'd get a phone call or I'd have to go out to a networking event, I went into it with this idea that like, uh, I don't really like people. I'm a curmudgeon. Like I was starting to own that, that part of the story, right? Like I'm a curmudgeon, like, and that's not helpful. And so I had to start breaking that, that limiting belief and saying, no, I am. I am a person that can go out there and I do like people. It's not that it's that I find this difficult and it's the difficulty that I dislike, but it's only going to get easier if I build up the muscle and I start and I start building that proficiency. I, I really appreciate, I relate to that, uh, especially, and you know, there are, there are ways to deal with that. It's, it's difficult. You're, if you're at a networking event, you're talking to people and you're starting to get like exhausted and irritable. Mm-hmm go away for 10 minutes, yeah. you know, walk away, go, you know, go for a walk around the block or whatever, recharge, you know, come back and, you know, build these, these strategies to make yourself self successful so that, you know, can, can move forward. I also wanted to ask, uh, what kind of, you know, deals and locations and things, uh, you guys are doing and, and going after. Yeah. So we're focused exclusively up here in the twin cities and the frozen tundra of Minnesota. Uh, and we're vertically integrated. So we do the property management in-house. We have employees that handle that. And so that kind of dictates our strategy in terms of kind of clustering our properties within a particular region. And we focus, you know, we're, we like to say that we're deal agnostic. We'll look at a deal if it makes sense within like the multifamily value add spectrum. Our, our, our deal is between 50 and 150 units, but in the Twin Cities, a lot of times we have this, we have older inventory. And back then they weren't building them with 100 and 150 units. They were building them 20 and 30 at a time. So, you know, we, we look at those deals. We have a 10 unit under contract right now. The last deal we closed in November was 30 units. And so, you know, it's sometimes you just take what's what's there because the numbers are so good. We like the value add model a lot. You know, start, coming into COVID at the beginning of 2020, we closed a deal that was a bread and butter, beautiful value add deal where it really had a lot of meat on the bones and it revolved around going in there, getting all the really bad tenants out, doing some upgrades, and then getting all the good tenants in. 
And that's a great business plan until eviction moratoriums go into effect. And you're like, oh, how are we going to get these tenants out of here? You know, and so like there's a little bit of a gut punch there, but we weren't really sure what was going to happen in the in the macro, but we we survived in a lot a large part because we do the property management in-house. We were able to work boots on the ground with the residents and find them, you know, aid and support through the local, you know, government and like, you know, the the city itself. And so we then our business model wasn't actually negatively impacted in that way, but what it did do is it led to a slight shift in business model leading into our our acquisition in November, which was, hey, if we don't know what 2021 is going to look like, if it looks anything like 2020, let's err on the side of less value add and go towards something a bit more stabilized. And that has the optionality where we can go and deploy CapEx, we can drive up the rents, we can do all that good stuff and get the returns, or we can pump the brakes, sit on it and just wait and see what happens because it's cash flowing from day one. And so that's the the type of asset that we went and found. The difficulty with that is it requires you to go and buy an asset, you know, significantly under market that's being rented out under market with a good stable tenant base. So it's kind of like a unicorn deal. And it's like, well, you don't just get to go and find those on the MLS or through a broker. So there's you know some advanced, I'd say, seller relationships that come into play there. Nice. Got to make it happen though. Exactly. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Anthony, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show, are you ready? I am super ready. Great. Number one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? So everybody tells you when you're young that you should start investing early. The earlier you start investing, the better. We've all heard that. And what nobody told me, or at least I wasn't listening, was that doesn't apply only to to money. That implies applies to your relationships. And in, in, in fact, more importantly to relationships because they take a long time to develop. And the compounding effect of solid relationships is such that if you can move at the the speed of trust, as Stephen Covey says, then you can get deals done really, really quickly. And that was something I didn't understand when I was younger. But I was really fortunate that one of the key people that I did invest very heavily in went on to become my best business partner um, in in, uh, the manufacturing business that we've done. And that was purely because we invested in each other in that relationship. Nice, nice. Classic. Excellent. Take that to the next level. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the worst investment. Hopefully it's not also a relationship. What is the worst (laughs) investment you ever made? Actually, it is a relationship. So Uh yeah, that one, yeah. I want I wanted to give both the yin and the yang and because I'm a storyteller. And so it's all about, you know, closing the loop, bringing it full circle. But I had another relationship, best friend, a guy that I invested very heavily in, and he's still my like a good friend, but we went into business with each other, not really understanding what our strengths and what our weaknesses were. And we both came into it with the same strengths, same weaknesses, and poor communication style that just clashed. And it led to just um a a, a terrible investment and a terrible, I would say, strain on the relationship. Mm, ouch. Interesting. But like you said, bringing it full circle, telling the story and we're getting, you know, the yin and the yang. So I love it. Mm-hmm. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? So again, it's, it's all thematic. It, I, I listen to a lot of Naval Ravikant, who's an angel investor, and he has a phrase, he says, play long-term games with long-term people. And I wish I had known this 
decades ago. It would have saved me a lot of strife. Um, it would have accelerated things a lot faster than it has. But it's it's the idea that if you can't see yourself working with somebody for life, don't work with them for day for a day. You know, make sure that you're surrounding yourself and you're taking the long view in everything that you do, every business transaction. Don't just look at the the short term. Okay, I'm going to get X dollars because we're closing on this date. Look and say, what is this relationship or this deal going to lead to in 10 years or the deal behind this deal or the deal behind that deal? And if you take that view, then you can't go wrong. Nice. Nice. I love it. The long term view. Well, Anthony, thank you for joining us today and bringing us all of these great lessons and your experience. If folks want to get in touch, if they want to learn more, what have you, if they want to ask some questions, where can they find you? So find me at InvictusMultifamily.com. We have some free resources over there right now. If you're interested in passive investing or learning about syndications and how you could participate in that, we have the Quick Start Guide to Passive Investing. So go check that out. Otherwise, we have a podcast ourselves called Multifamily Investing Made Simple. And it's exactly what it sounds like. We're just trying to take the complexity out of a, a thing that could seem really daunting at first for most people. Nice. I love it. Taking that complexity out really support that and making things uh, more straightforward and helping people understand. Well, thank you for joining us once again to everybody out there. Thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying this show, please leave us a rating review on Apple Podcasts. It's very much appreciated and it helps other people learn about the show. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. We're also live streaming on YouTube. So look us up on YouTube, subscribe, hit the notification bell, and you can join the conversation live in the future. Thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great week, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.